0: This morning we're finishing up our short series we've been doing on family Um, and the name of the series really sums up the purpose of the series. The name of the series is Why Family? Why Family? Um, And for the last few weeks we've been digging into God's purposes for um, for family, for, for marriage, parenting, Um, Now, the reason we wanted to do this series is because family, in like the last 40 to 50 years, has dramatically changed shape in our society. Um, Back in the 50s, there was the idea of the nuclear family, right? You remember this. Um, There was a father and a mother with 2.5 statistical children, and it was perfect. We had it figured out. Uh, The nuclear family lived in a single-family home. Dad would go to work during the day and bring home the bacon. Um, Mom would tend to the house and take care of the kids. And today, man, things have shifted, haven't they? Uh, Families have gotten far more complicated and far messier than uh, 40 and 50 years ago. Um, Many families today look like uh, two working parents trying to raise the kids and both work full-time at the same time. Um, raising kids today has become a major fiscal decision for many families today. Like, do we have kids? How many can we even afford to have? It's a really big conversation in families these days. Um, in fact, with the rise of birth control, we now have the ability to control when and how many children we have like in no other time in human history. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, People are having kids 10 to 20 years later than a generation ago. Uh, many families are what they call blended families, where there's stepmoms and stepdads uh, in the scene. Uh, many families are one-parent households, where it's where it's mom and the kids, and they have to figure that life out together. Um, marriage in our society is, on, is in a decline, like it's unprecedented in our culture. Um, just the impact and, and significance of marriage as it continues to fall in our society. Many kids live with their parents, and their parents live with their parents today. It's a different kind of living. Families are messier than ever before. And in the midst of all this looms the question, um, why family? Like why family at all? Why get married at all? Why have kids at all? Um, And so in this series, that's sort of what we wanted to get after. What do the Scriptures say about family and marriage and kids? And what do the Scriptures say about how we go about doing this thing called family and marriage and kids? And so last week, Pastor Chuck walked us through uh, marriage and what the Scriptures say about marriage. And then this week, we're going to talk about the kids of the family, like parenting, grandparenting, aunting, uncleing, you know, all those things. Um, What do the Scriptures say about raising kids today. And so to get us there, we're gonna to turn to our scripture reading of the day. Um, it is found in Joshua chapter four. That is the Old Testament. We're going to Old Testament this week. Uh, Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 20. Um, What we say every week is, if you can, uh, grab your Bible, join us in the Word, read the words from your Bible. If you're like, dude, I didn't bring a Bible, grab your phone, Google Joshua 4, and follow along with your phone as well. Joshua 4, starting in verse 20. Um, Our scripture reader this morning is Annika Vanderham. Annika, you can head up when you are ready. In church, what we do every week when we read scripture together is we stand for the reading of God's word and we face the center of the room uh, to signify to ourselves every single week as a reminder that this book should be, ought to be central in our lives. So Annika, when you are ready, take it away. And Joshua set up at Gilgal, the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Thank you, Annika. You all may take a seat. Good job. So, God created us to love stories, to love stories. Um, we are captured by good stories, right? My dog doesn't care. We do. We care about stories. There's nothing better than being caught up in a powerful story, right? You've had this experience. Um, this past week, uh, my son Noah and I were doing some traveling, and while we're traveling together, we had lots of time to sit in airports together, to drive in cars together, to ride on airplanes together, and we got to do a lot of talking as we traveled together. Just as like a parenting tip, if you have lots of kids, we have three of them, if you can isolate one and spend significant time with them like that, there's nothing better better in the world than doing that as a dad and a kid, just hanging out, having conversation. Uh, but one of the topics that uh, Noah and I talked about was reading books. Our kids are rabid readers. They love it. They just burn through books. They've read more books than probably I have at this point. Um, and, my, and my son Noah, he asked a question at one point. He said, have you ever read a book?" And it was like you weren't really reading the book anymore, and it was like you were watching the story even though you were reading. Have you ever had that happen, Dad? And I told him, yeah, like that happens to me all the time. It's a great moment. When when you're reading a book, your, your eyes are literally scrolling through the words, right, sentence after sentence, but that somehow like disappears from your consciousness and you're transported into the story. You find yourself in the story. It's a great moment when you're reading, right? You know you're really there when you're reading like that. Uh, we love reading and listening to and watching great stories. We love stories. Um, in fact, when I was a kid, I remember going to my great grandparents' house. I remember I would sit on the floor in their house and my great-grandfather, he'd be sitting in his rocking chair and he'd be sharing war stories from World War II. Uh, he was in the Air Force. He worked with bombers in World War II and he would share his stories and I would hang on every single word that he would share because his stories were so amazing. I learned later he was embellishing those stories, but in the moment, they were great stories. I loved every second of those stories. remember sitting on that same floor listening to my great-grandmother share her stories of what it was like living through the Great Depression and how getting food on the table was unbelievably difficult in that time. Even eating was hard. Uh, The toys that she shared that she would play with, they called these things toys that they played, with. I couldn't believe it as a kid. I hung on every word of every story that my great-grandmother shared. It was an amazing story that she had about living through the Great Depression. We love great stories. They, they capture us somehow. God created us that way. Yet how many of us truly see our own lives as a story? Do we see it that way? You know, we see our lives in terms of ambition and survival, right? We see our lives like in that one day at a time just kind of slogging through life. We see our lives that way. We see our lives even working toward an end goal and aim. Maybe it's retirement or a career or a family or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's just the aim is to make ends meet finally, right? Like that's how we see our lives. We don't see our lives as a grand story filled with twists and turns and tragedies and triumphs. Now, our scripture reading this morning is all about story. It's about the story that God was telling through the Israelites. Um, Our scripture reading, picks up sort of in the middle of this great moment for Joshua and the Israelites, just a chapter before our scripture reading. If you, if you have your Bible, just open up to Joshua chapter 3 a second and you can kind of just scroll through and you can see this. It's this great story of the Israelites crossing through the Jordan River, Right? And it's not just crossing a river, it's that on one side of the Jordan River was the Israelites and Joshua and they're standing there and that's one life. And then on the other side of the Jordan River is a radically different life. It's a space, it's a land that God had promised the Israelites so many years ago and they were about to cross the Jordan into this land that they would inherit from the Lord. It was a great moment, a long awaited day. And so the Israelites, they crossed the Jordan into the land. And as soon as they make it to the other side, the Lord commands them to do something strange. It says, hey, go to the Jordan, pick 12 stones from the Jordan, and then make like a sort of monument out of those 12 stones. Um, This passage, by the way, has inspired uh, the standing stones that we have on campus here at TFRC. Um, If you've ever noticed, when you're driving in by the white building over there, there's those three weird rocks sticking up. That's um, a standing stone. It's the desert, we call it. Um, The fountain is a standing stone. For us, um, There's a prayer stone in the Rose Garden. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, there's the first Peter stone as you walk into the front doors of this building here. If you remember a few years ago, um, we all took a stone each and we wrote our names on the stone and then we laid it before the first Peter stone. You remember this. It was, it was a great moment for us. And of course, the Calvary Hill over there as well. Now, why did the Lord have the Israelites make 12 stones into this weird sort of monument thing. Why is that? Well, because the 12 stones was to be a reminder of their story. The story that God was telling through the Israelites, the story of how they got to the promised land, the story of where they came from, the story of where God would lead them next, it's all their story. Now, there's a line in our scripture reading But I want us to notice this morning. If you have your Bible, just open up to Joshua 4 and turn to verse 21 here a second. Joshua 4, verse 21 here. Listen to this, okay? Listen to this. It should be on the screen as well. It says, He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now now we read that initially and we're like, Okay great. Uh, It maybe isn't immediately obvious to us when we read this, but this sentence is a primary biblical teaching on parenting. On parenting. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The Lord instructed the Israelites to pick 12 stones out of the Jordan River and to construct this weird monument thing. And why did the Lord do so? So the next generation could hear. Uh, The Israelites' kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews could be told the story of who they are Told the story of what God has already done through them and told the story of what the Lord will do through them next into the future so the next generation could know that's why the 12 stones were there. Now, here's the deal we have monuments of the faith, right? We have 12 stone type things all over the place, don't we? Um, We have images that we refer to again and again and again. We have images like uh, the cross. Like we have, some people wear crosses around their neck and it's an image, it's a monument to the faith, right? It's to remind us of something. We have, in this space here, we have a communion table. Same thing. We have um, a font, a baptismal font over there. Um, We have our standing stones on campus. Those are all monuments toward the faith. We have great church buildings scattered throughout the world. We have amazing cathedrals that have been built, and they're all with the express purpose of communicating some message about the Lord to those around them, right? But today, as we live on the other side of the cross, right, from the Israelites, by far the most important monument we have for our kids is, well, it's us. It's us. It's our lives and the way that we lead our lives. Um, hey, dads in the room or dads streaming in online, we are supposed to be monuments of the faith that tells the story of who our kids are what the Lord has already done through our kids and what the Lord will do through our kids. Our lives ought to be that, dads. Moms, you are supposed to be a monument of the faith that tells the story of who your kids are, what the Lord has already done through your kids and what the Lord will do next through your kids. Your life should be that, moms. Grandparents and uncles and aunts and close family friends, You are supposed to be a monument for our kids too. A monument saying who they are and what the Lord will do through them next. Um, Every single one of you in the room where you're like, man, I have moved here. I don't have family here. Um, I, I just, I don't have a connection to kids really. You, for the kids at TFRC, should live your life so that it is a monument of the faith for the kids at TFRC. See, Now to be blatant this morning, I'm not sure we're pulling it off, to be honest. I'm not sure we're pulling it off. You know, I'm a stats guy when it comes to sociology. I love that stuff. I'm constantly reading like the Pew Research Center. That's the kind of guy I am. It's, you know, boring. Um, Stats help me understand the world, though. They help me understand what's happening in our world. And there are a bazillion stats about the next generation, our kids' generation. And every single one of them, when it comes to faith, is bad news. Like, hit the big red panic alarm button. Bad news, church. Think about this. Do we have any baby boomers in the room? Just by a show of hands. It's okay can raise, it's okay to be a baby boomer. There we go, thank you. Um, Baby boomers in the room. Uh, So baby boomers have been polled all kinds of times about faith stuff. Um, Baby boomers were polled about the religious affiliation, the religious affiliation. The results came in that about 17% of baby boomers in America had no religious affiliation at all. We're talking like all religions here, right? All religions. 17% of boomers would say that they have no religious affiliation. They're not connected to a religion at all. Meaning 83% of baby boomers have some kind of religion that they believe in or they follow. Now let's just skip ahead a couple of generations. We'll skip past Gen X because you have to. You know, that's what you're supposed to do with Gen X. Um, We're gonna skip past the millennials, which will hurt our feelings, because we're special. Um, Let's go straight to the latest generation, right? Generation Z is what it's called. Um, Gen Z consists of um, ages six to 24 right now, six years old to 24 years old. What percentage of Gen Z do you think has no religious affiliation? Boomers are 17%, right? 17%, no religious affiliation. Gen Z? 38%. 38%. Over a third of our kids have no religious affiliation. And that's all religions, not just talking about Christianity, right? Now you may be thinking, like, yeah, but we have two thirds. Like, that's, you know, that's a good number. That's a passing grade in high school, barely, but we pass, right? It's not that bad. Of the two-thirds that said, yes, I have a religious affiliation, um, they asked another question to that two-thirds. And that question was, uh, uh, 50% of them said, uh, they said, do you trust uh, organized religion? Like, do you have a trust of organized religion? 50% of them said, no, I don't trust organized religion. Christianity is organized religion, just, you know, for the record here. Now, just doing math here, and that's not my strong suit, well, let's do some math here, that means 30% of Gen Z is participating in organized religion, only 30%. That includes all religions. How many of them would say, yeah, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm a Christian, a smaller number than 30%. Church, this is a crisis for us. It's a crisis. And we have to ask the question, why are we losing our kids? Like what's happening here? You know, the best way that I can understand it and, you know, we can go off and we can blame the culture, right? Like the culture's bad and like they're doing all kinds of bad things or poisoning our kids. Maybe, you know, maybe that's true. But I think we have some personal responsibility in all of this. Let's go back to the 12 stones. We adults of the faith, moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and people that are a part of TFRC, we perhaps are not living a life that is telling the story of the faith to our kids, we're not or, or at least we're not telling that story in any compelling way at all if you're not convinced think about it this way You know, when you look at the state of the union of your life uh, and all of us adults in the room do you want your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews to have a faith that looks like yours do you? Is the way that you're choosing to live your life right now when it comes to the Lord, do you want that for your kids? Like you're checking the boxes. Look, no matter how we live our lives, our lives are always telling a story. If your story is not a story of the faith for your kids, what other story are you telling your kids? What is it? Is it a story about, you know, the pursuit of happiness at any cost? Like trying to live a life to be happy and feel good about yourself. Uh, is it a story about bigger and better in life? Constantly learning to have a bigger life, a better life, a bigger house, a, a better car, whatever. Just more and more and more. Is your story, uh, is it about paychecks? Or comfort? Or... Retirement or success? What's the story you're telling your kids? You know, there's a cliche about parenting um, that goes something like this. It says, parenting is 20% taught, but it is 80% modeled. 20% taught, 80% modeled. You know, and I think we've got the teaching part down personally, Right? like I don't know about you, but I'm constantly teaching my kids. I'm constantly instructing my kids. You can ask them. They'll say, Dad doesn't stop. You know, I can guarantee it. Um, Kid, do this. Don't do this. Repeat. Don't do this, and then do this. You know, like, this is what we do all day long, every day with our kids. We're constantly teaching our kids how to behave and how to be nice and how to achieve and all of those things in our lives. But where we might have some work to do is the 80%, the modeling part are we modeling the faith to our kids? Perhaps we have some work to do. At least statistically, we do. You know, the building project that we've been talking about and raising funds for for a very long time at this point, that is just one way that we corporately as a church can model the faith to thousands and tens of thousands of kids into the future, right? But what about personally for us? How can we go about better modeling the faith to our kids and our grandkids and the kids of this church and the kids of our friends? How can we go about doing that? Uh, Just to end today, I want to just name four things that we can do, okay? Four things. And the first is this. Let your kids or your grandkids see your faith. Let them see your faith. Don't keep Your personal spiritual practices private. Pray and read scripture and process the Sunday sermon in public around your kids. Let your kids see you pray. And I don't mean like before the meal at the dinner table, I mean in your time where you're spending time with the Lord, like let your kids in on that so they can see that. Be exposed to that because it will shape them and change them. I'm at lunch today when you wanna talk about how great the sermon was, and I know it's gonna happen, I get it, you know, but at lunch today, you wanna talk about the sermon, maybe you wanna do that. Talk about it and let your kids listen to your processing of what the Lord had for you on this day. Let them see it and hear it. Let your kids see your faith, right? Secondly, tell your kids your story of coming to faith. Tell your kids that story. How many of our kids and grandkids have no idea what our story of meeting Jesus looks like at all? Because we've never talked about it. Make sure you tell them your story of faith and then tell that story again. And then tell that story again and again and again until you sound like that old guy that repeats the same story over and over and like I get it, like we've heard it. Like say it again and again. Share your story. With your kids. Thirdly, always put faith first. That sounds generic, but always put your faith first. When Sunday rolls around and it's been a long week and you're like, oh, I'm just tired. I don't know if I want to go to church today. Get out of bed and make sure your family is in church and don't just do it for yourself. Do it for your kid's sake that you do that. Go to church. Skipping church, folks, is telling a story to your kids. Always coming to worship, no matter what, tells a different story to your kids. Which one do you want to tell? Show up. Be an integral part of this church. Serve and volunteer and fall in love with the community that the Lord has given you here at TFRC and talk about it with your kids. Lift up the church before your kids. Be excited about the church with your kids and your grandkids. Come to Bible studies. Come to the men's breakfast. Attend all the things. Be integral to this place. Be in a small group. Start a four by four heart to heart. Have an attitude and passion uh, for TFRC and share that with your kids. Okay? Put your faith first. Lastly, always, always, always put your kids' faith first too. Always make sure that your kids are an integral part of the church. Make sure that church activities for your kids Always come first. If you have teenagers, make sure they're involved in the youth group. Don't let them skip a week because they're just tired and they had a long day. No, they're going to church no matter what. If you have kids, make sure that they come on Wednesday nights. Make sure that they're involved in all the kids' activities that they can be involved in around here. Don't let bedtime be an excuse for not bringing your kids to church on Wednesdays. That tells a story to your kids. Is that the story you want to share? Or do you want to share another one? Don't let sports or extracurriculars or other activities get in the way of church relationship stuff. Don't do it. It tells a story to your kids. Is that the story you want to share with your kids? You know, one of the things that uh, Pastor Chuck and Melanie and I talk about a lot is that um, a kid that is consistently involved here at TFRC has a far greater chance in our world today of staying connected to their faith, right? The more they love this place, the greater chance they have of having a faith beyond their childhood. If they are not a part of this place, it is almost assured that they won't continue in the faith. It's just how it works. Put your kid's faith first always church we can do this we can do this a tfrc staff wants nothing more than to partner with families here to pull this thing off, to invest in our kids. I'm um, Coming soon, one of the things we're working on right now is trying to get a nightly text that goes out, like at seven o'clock at night, right? And you'll get a text that gives you three simple instructions on what to do before bedtime with, faith-wise with your kids every single day. Wouldn't that be a great, helpful tool for you to invest in your kid's faith? We'll keep you posted on that one. Let's partner together To give our kids the best chance possible in a culture that's not real excited about the faith, that they could still live into a faith even when they leave the nest, right? Frankly, it's up to us. It's not their fault. It's ours. It's our responsibility because it's our kids. We need to tell a better story. Amen? Amen? So let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for probably every single person in the room and anyone online that has any faith in you, Lord. There, there was that person in their life, probably an adult, that shared the story of Jesus through their lives and that shaped us, God. God, help us recognize that and and be appreciative of that. And God, do whatever mighty work you need to do in our lives as adults to live out the story of faith to the next generation to live out the story of faith to our kids, to model the faith to our kids. God, we ask that um, though the country looks like it's headed in one direction, that somehow like a revival would happen here at TFRC and we would look so opposite of what the trend line is, that our kids would stay a part of the faith and grow in faith and expand the tent of the faith to to, uh, their community and their neighbors and their friends and uh, the Magic Valley, God, that we would make a difference based on the story that we're living. We ask for your help in all of it, Lord. It's your work. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace, church. Amen.